Welcome in, Gator fans, to another edition of Chomp Chatter. I'm Will Thomas. You can find me on Twitter at WT Sports 1925. Joined today by my two co-hosts, first of whom is John Miles. He's on Twitter at Chomp John, and also Anthony Chicaroni, who's on Twitter at Red Raider Gator. You can find all of our stuff at HailFloridaHail.com, and on Twitter we cover all things Florida Gators. And for our second episode today, we already got a very special guest in David Soderquist. He is the co-host for High Top Sports, and you may have formerly seen him with Chomp Talk and Gator Country. You can find him on Twitter at High Top Dave, and we're really excited to have him here with us today. How you doing, David? Good, man. I've been hanging out at the pool usually all weekend, just about every Saturday. I'm a little bit sunburnt here, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Sounds good. So let's just get right into it with kind of what's been the biggest news around Florida for the past week or so is that the plans for the swamp renovations are starting to become a little more real. And the biggest change that at least the fans are taking exception to is that we're going to lose a little over 10,000 seats, it seems like. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and, you know, what you think about prioritizing comfort and kind of that nicer feel to the stadium versus losing that 90,000 fans feel that you get when you walk into the swamp. Yeah, I, I guess you could look at it as a double-edged sword. It, it, in one way, I mean, you're renovating something that's 90 years old, I guess. But uh, for, I me, mean, I'm an old school guy, so I love the old feel, the, you know, the, the work em silly sign that's in the corner. Mm -hmm. Just like the old school, just what I grew up on. And, uh, you know, and it, it, we're in the day and age now where everybody's trying to make things more modern for people that visit and such. So, I mean, taking the capacity out really kind of... It, it, it's kind of it makes me not feel that great about it because like I love 90,000 screaming fans and they say that the swamp's one of the loudest stadiums you go to now you're gonna take away some of that but what are you putting in place of that nothing's really been out there yet they're still even looking for a guy to you know blueprint it and construct it and everything else too they're on the hunt for that but me personally like as I said I like the old school feel but I think sometimes things can get too modern and I hope they don't take that approach like trying to change just everything and making it like way 2023 i think sometimes you can take away the, the the feel and the atmosphere of the swamp like if you go way too modern with it now if you if you take some of the old school stuff you keep it there uh and then you modernize things around it like they said they're going to put in a new sound system and, and some you know some video some lights and such like that you see it a lot at these stadiums now and and you know 400 million dollars you don't really know what's going to go into that that's a lot of money by the way um but as i said man i i'm for it as long as you keep the old school feel and you modernize maybe some things around it well what i was going to say after looking into this what if i know it's you know if you have like a budget say half 500 million it's going to cost a billion in the end so yeah. What would, how would you feel like, say, hypothetically, if they could take that 400 million and build a new stadium with the same dimensions? Ooh, that's a tough. One. It, to, keep, to keep the swamp the way it is, but just make it to where it's a brand new stadium. It would obviously it would have to be off campus because I don't, I think they've used every space up that they could possibly use. But just hypothetically, like if they were to keep the exact same structure the same template basically but just modernize it and make it more i mean would would that still have that nostalgic feel to the, to the way that the swamp is now and keep uh, that so you obviously you'd have both comfort and modernized stuff but you would keep the swamp exactly the way it is just more rebuilt just kind of yeah. kind of like what they did with yankee stadium yeah yeah um i, I 
as I said, I'm an old school guy. Like if they were to just build a separate stadium and, and just revamp everything, but still make it look like the old swamp. Um, I, I don't know how fans would react to that because a lot of the, a lot of the memories were in Bill, Ben Hill Griffin stadium and you, you kind of want to keep those there. But at the same time, I mean, I live in Atlanta and, uh, you know, they, they had the old Georgia Dome they took down and put up a new, you know, they have SunTrust Park now, the battery over there in Cobb County where the Atlanta Braves are at. They took down that old stadium. A lot of people didn't like it at first, but now in that since they moved it to Cobb County, rebuilt it, restructured it and revamped it. And there's there's just bars galore and restaurants galore around in that area. And a lot of people love it and they go to the battery all the time. I'm always asked if I want to go down there. So maybe you know, maybe that. It may upset fans at first if that was to happen, but overall, you may get a better, you know, down the road, a couple of years down the road, said, hey, this is pretty cool. <laughs> now, now it's more modernized. There's a lot more things to do around here. So uh, I, I think at first, a, a lot of people, they're, they're old traditionalists like me. I don't like that kind of stuff, but at the same time, I'm more than willing to, you know, at least give it a shot, you know, because I've seen what they've done with the Brave Stadium down here and revamped it. Maybe they can do the same thing with Ben Hill Griffin Stadium or, or the University of Florida, their football stadium, and maybe it's not as bad as what people are going to think. Yeah, I do wonder if there's a market there for, like, um, maybe you see what Tennessee's planning with, like, that big entertainment area outside of the yeah. stadium with a bunch of bars and everything. Maybe there could be a market for that, too, in case the stadium stays more as is. But I do think I agree with you. Like, after that Auburn game in 2021, they their fans were claiming that we were pumping noise into the stadium. <laughs> you weren't. It's just that you got 90,000 Gator fans in there, which is something that I definitely don't want to lose, even though I haven't been around the program for as long as some other people have. But that's definitely something that I hope the if you have to reduce capacity, that's fine a little bit. But I saw someone said rumor that we're going to lose 20,000 seats down to 70 grand, which that seems like it might be too big of a hit. Um, and also, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just something that I saw. Um, but I definitely agree with you that kind of the old school feel of Florida and all the people packing in there is kind of what makes it great. Yeah. I, I, I've, I think I've read that it was going to be a few thousand, but a few thousand, thousand. anything. It could yeah. be a thousand. It could be 5,000. It could be three. We, we don't know. Uh, it's all speculation right now because they haven't really, I mean, I think they're keeping mm -hmm. it really close and, and, and not trying to give away what they're going to do. And they may not even know exactly how they're going to structure it yet. As they said, they've been vetting like a whole bunch of architects and stuff for the, right. for the stadium. So uh, I, I would say everything's speculation right now until we can kind of get more of a full, you know, I guess, explanation from Scott Strickland or, or somebody at least higher up at Florida. Right. Yeah. Fun to think about it and what could be the future. But what's happening right now is Florida recruiting. And what we've right. seen this offseason is that Napier has done really just a, a bang up job. He's done an incredible he's done great work on the trail of not just getting guys on visits, but now all of a sudden we're seeing him follow through on those visits and land some big time commitments. So just before we get kind of into the details, what are your general thoughts on where Florida football recruiting stands right now? Oh man. Um, almost historical in, in Florida Gator recruiting for the past like decade. I had wrote an article not too long ago. I think it was around last week that, and I'll even read a quote from it. I put currently Florida has a higher rate of class than six of the last recruit recruiting classes since 2010. Now that's over a decade. I wanted to get urban Myers big mm -hmm. recruiting class in there. I said they are also close to besting five more recruiting classes of what they have currently have on the roster, which is 17 commits. They also have the best player average that they've had since the Urban Meyer era, too. And, I mean, right now, Florida recruiting's on fire. Uh, I mean, you, you, you talk about the Georgias. You're probably not going to catch Georgia. You may not catch Ohio State. But, you know, a lot of those schools that compete for national championships every, every year are in the top five. 
So at least you can compete with some of these teams, even if they have the number one recruiting class. Florida can go on there with a number four, number five. And you got to do that consistently now, though, on the trail. You can't just do one year and then the next year you, you plummet. You, you got to keep it going. But um, as far as like Florida recruiting as a whole, I mean, it, it's exciting right now. I mean, I think that one night that we got all those commits, two of those guys I wasn't even told about. Like mm -hmm. it, it just happened there on the spot. And I was like, oh, my God. So, of, of course, it, I had to work when I was out having fun. But I was just like, hey, you know what? This is fun anyway if I have to work when we're landing elite recruits. So, uh, yeah, man, it's it's totally revamped. Uh, I'm sure we'll start talking about Florida Victorious here, too, in the NIL. Uh, but, man, it, it's an exciting moment right now to be a Florida Gator, especially where the recruiting class stands at this moment. Absolutely. And looking at their class, they've got four guys who are five stars on one of the major services. Talking about DJ Lagway, Xavier Philsame, Miles Graham, and Jamonta Waller. So even though they're not composite five stars you still got guys who are drawing the eyes of these recruiters and they're they're blowing them away yep. so just having that kind of consistency and seeing that oh it's not just one guy that we're hitting hell mary on we're doing this consistently with the best players in the country it's definitely a a much better vibe around recruiting and like you said my next question was going to be about florida victorious and kind of how that has changed the nil landscape at florida um and what impact you've seen that have over the past few months in this 24 cycle yeah, I, I talked to Eddie Rojas a lot, too. Um, obviously, he was the owner operator there over at Gator Collective, and uh, he, he got to a point to where he was he was okay with it, and he just said, you know what, I, I want to see if we can go even further with this. Let's see if I can, you know, vet some people in here to make it even better than what it is now. And, of course, him laying down the foundation there. Um, you know, and, and Jose Costa was the guy that he had chose. I mean, and if you go to the site where Jose Costa owns four share. Uh, it's one of the largest ornamental plant suppliers, Costa Farms, and he's been doing that for 25 years. So he's a very successful businessman. And I've talked to Nate Barbera, the CEO. Uh, we interviewed him at the start of it, too, and such. And he seemed it was very laid out, organized, very structured, really well. And, of course, I mean, they've got, like, just a, an advisory board. It's like it's like when Billy Napier got here and they said he hired an army of coaches. Well, they hired an army of advisory board members like Anthony Richardson, Laura Rutledge, Danny Werfel, Gary Condren, some of those Big time names, Trey Burton. I mean, the list goes on. And Jennifer Grosso, I talked to her a lot too. She's the director of fan engagement. She uh, she works her butt off. I mean, she is pretty much the person that <laughs> all the contracts go through for the currently enrolled players in the NIL. So every now and then, I can I can get a text from her, and she's like, "Man, it's just so night and day better than than, than what it is." And and it's not that Eddie didn't do a great job. It was the fact that Eddie wanted to take it a step further. Uh, you know, he's trying to do the whole thing by himself and he's like, and, and he had people helping him, but not this many people. So yeah. I think the, the Florida victorious, the revamp, the rebrand, uh, it's been phenomenal. Obviously you see the recruiting right now. So that has a little bit to do with it. Obviously you have to still have the coaches talk to the players and you have to have the players recruit for your school, but having a good NIL and a good structured NIL, that's practically better than just about the whole nation really helps too. Yeah, I was about to suggest that too. What you literally what you just said, because like Eddie, when we were in the Twitter spaces in the last couple of years, and before this all took off and everything rebranded, it's like you could tell Eddie was so stressed out. Yeah, trying to do this all by himself, and he was, he was, and it just because as far as I can remember, it was just him and then uh, Neil for all kinds of weather. It was like, but the two of them were like really trying to push everything. Yeah. And it just it, it was it was Eddie, Jen, Neil, um, Surfing Gator. If you know him, you've seen him on there. He makes yeah. all the graphics and such. 
and it was just a few more people that was it and now yeah. you know, it's it's completely different now you can see the difference like it's taken a lot off of him where he can actually go and do other stuff other than try and run everything by himself and it's 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 really blown up and i'm glad they really reached out and tried to get in, a, in an actual board to try to help with this yeah and I think it's cool how they uh, laid out the memberships too. I mean, you got the '96 Club where you, you you get a nice polo, you get a nice hat, you get uh, dinner with Steve Spurrier every single year. Uh, I've also was told that this year it's not going to be a dinner because of like the baseball and how the the, the College World Series had had extended, so they haven't really been able to uh, get a dinner. But it's going to be Tennessee weekend, from what I've heard. It's, it's supposed to be like a brunch after. It's supposed to be Sunday after Tennessee. Unless something changes, but that's what I was told so far. So if you join the 96 Club, you get one of those dinners every year with Steve Spurrier, the coaches and such. And then uh, I think there's a 250 Club as well where you get to interview different players and different coaches. And uh, it's it's all fan interactive. And, and, and obviously, 250 a month is a lot. So we're not asking anybody to donate 250 If you got the money, you got the money. If you don't, I mean, hey, just spread the word. That That's how that works there. But, uh, you know, you got to think. It, it, a lot of people don't maybe don't have the money to throw around like that. But if, if somebody does, I mean, there's not going to be that many people in there. So you'll probably get a chance to interview a lot of the coaches and ask them a lot of questions and some of the players too. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. With all the fireworks of that, it's easy to get caught up in, you know, how big time recruiting is and all the five stars, but we saw with Kyle Trask a few years ago, sometimes your best players are those three star, two star guys in your class. So with that in mind, who are some of the sleeper guys in this 2024 class that you think could have a big impact on the program? Ooh, one pops off the bat already. That's Kanan Daniels, the Mississippi guy from West Point. I mean, th this kid is, he's rushed for 3,000 yards already in his career. He's averaged 10 yards per carry his whole career. Jesus. And and and, and a lot of people will say, well, it may be not the best competition or, you know, you always throw that stuff out there. But I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter what competition you're playing. To average 10 yards per carry is very, very hard to do. I mean, you turn on the film, you, you see him run. He runs around like almost 22 miles an hour. Has really good vision, instincts, real quick cuts. I, I think he's a very, very underrated prospect in this uh, in this class. And also, like, the, uh, the name's not coming to me right now, but the German kid that we got, the offensive lineman, this kid is a freak of an athlete, man. Mm -hmm. If you turn on the film, man, uh, he's just moving. Uh, obviously, he was the number one player in Germany, but I don't, obviously, I don't think there's any other guys that were up that they play football over there that much anyway. But still, I mean, really, really good size. You know, but, uh, Rob Sale liking those really six foot five, six foot six, 300 pound offensive linemen. And, and I think you've even seen the, um, pictures with like Zachary Carter and Gervon Dexter and they're just as big as those guys and they're just freshmen in high school I mean or they're gonna be freshmen in college coming up so I mean it's really really funny man like uh I always tell people that offensive line recruiting is kind of maybe the hardest position to scout because you know quick feet being athletic and all that it's it's really hard to like kind of grasp like you got a defensive end or a defensive lineman you can get the speed, the you know how many sacks, speed. Really, you're just seeing, hey, how how can somebody block? How, how do they pancake block somebody? How how fast are they on their feet? How can they? And I, and I think you get that from from that offensive lineman, the German offensive. Line. His name is just off the tip of my tongue right now, but mm -hmm. uh, I think those two are the two guys right now in this class that are very severely underrated, and I think that they're going to make a huge impact when they come here to Florida. Yeah, when I was thinking about it, the guy that I saw um, was Josiah Davis. Uh, he's the oh, yeah. three-star safety out of Georgia, and um, he's ranked right just inside the top 50 for his position, but I wrote about it when he first committed. I mean, this dude is violent. He he almost hurt me through his huddle. 
I mean, he had 70 tackles in his junior season, got himself a pick six. And that physicality was also on the offensive side of the ball because he had over 100 carries for 895 yards and 12 scores. So this guy's just a just a boulder. He's going to go out there and hit you no matter who you are. So I think he can kind of bring that violent attitude that I think Austin Armstrong's trying to bring back to the Gator defense. So I think he could be a big contributor um, as he works his way through his career. Yeah, uh, you go back to, I, I know he's not on the team anymore, and he transferred Jordan Young. This was a mm-hmm. kid that was like a three-star safety, three-star cornerback, and he just jumped off the tape when you saw the spring games. I mean, this kid was, was popping people. He was in the right position. Um, I, I thought he was a very, very underrated player. Obviously, his size is probably why, you know, maybe he was rated a three-star in high school coming to college. But, I mean, you, you get those type of guys like a Josiah Davis that that maybe – you know, maybe he's a three-star, four-star right now on, on you know, any kind of service that you go to. But then, you know, you kind of look at the film and you're like, man, these, like, this coaching staff can really evaluate. And I think that's, you know, a good, I think the evaluation process of this coaching staff is a lot more better than it was the past two coaching staffs. You look at Jim McElwain, he kind of evaluated pretty well. I mean, you had Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, Kyle Trask. I mean, those guys are what made Dan Mullen's uh, success over when, when he was here at the University of Florida. So, I mean, you know, you go back and you look at what Dan Mullen recruited, and I'm not trying to trash any kids. It's just what he recruited, not the best talent. I mean, mm-hmm. it really wasn't. Dan Mullen would take anything that if, if, they, if it was given to him just to, to shut people up. And I think that, you know, that attitude, obviously getting, you, getting fired, all that, and you're bringing in a guy that actually, you know, has, makes kids send in tape breaks down their tape, looks at all the statistics. Uh, he has a whole freaking just statistical army of people in there looking at film. And I think, you know, a lot of these guys, especially uh, Micaiah, I think it's Burrow, Micaiah Burrow, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, that Georgia wanted. He's rated 850 right now. And I think that's a crime, dude. I think that kid is really, really good. I mean, you go 6'5", 390, that's a big dude. And I think he's going to rise in his ranking too. So I think the I think what Florida does well is seeing the talent before it develops. I mean, you go back to last cycle, Jakeem Jackson, he was rated in four or five hundreds. He ends the cycle at, in the top fifty, you know, and and he's burning people too. So uh, I think the evaluation process from the coaching staff is what really really intrigues me with some of these lower rated players. Mm-hmm, definitely. So we've talked a lot about the guys that are currently committed, but there's still a lot of work left to do in this cycle. So when you're looking at the board still either recruits that are still uncommitted or maybe some flip targets. Who are you looking at that the Gators are still going hard after that they have a shot at adding to the class? Uh, if you're talking flip targets, I would talk about uh, Abrams. Abrams is a flip target. He's currently committed to Florida State. Uh, mm-hmm. There's been a lot of contact between him and the coaching staff. Now, is there is it enough contact for you to specifically believe, oh, he could flip? Uh, maybe, maybe not, mm-hmm. depending on how you think. And Chance Robinson, you hear his name a lot. I mean, he was a big, huge flip target uh, two, one or two months ago. You know, everybody was talking about, oh, Chance could flip. And uh, you're, you hear the rumblings of that. And now two months later, nothing's going on. Now, is, it, is he still going to flip or is he just trying to get all, like, get all the smoke off of him to where nobody knows about it and then he pulls the trigger? Or is it just one of those, well, maybe he wants to stay at Miami and they convinced him and they found out and you, you don't know. So those are two flip targets. I would look at and coming down the stretch, man. Uh, uh, Fletcher Westfall he commits tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of crystal balls for Clemson. You're seeing some UF ones now too, so that's a uh, that that's going to be something to look out for there tomorrow. Um, and then you have uh, LJ McCray. You have mm-hmm. Zay Vincey's two bigger elite prospects there on the, on the defense. And you know, 
obviously Corey Raymond did his research on Mincy. He wants to turn him into a corner when he gets here. So I would say you look at maybe those flip prospects uh, coming down the stretch. You look at LJ McCray. I think he's supposed to be at the barbecue. Um, I think he's listed as a maybe right now. So uh, I, I would look at the barbecue that they're going to have at the end of July and see who's actually visiting too. And, uh, you know, you never know. Maybe you get somebody to pop there at that barbecue, and then uh, we're sitting even more prettier in mm-hmm. uh, the recruiting class. And maybe I can rewrite an article saying that, uh, you know, Florida bested all the recruiting classes over the past decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll flip the script on you here real quick. Right. Um, I got home about 3 a.m., and I don't know what it is about late nights that really get me thinking negatively. Well, let's say for whatever reason, some guys flip away from Florida and we fall to like 11 or 12 in the recruiting rankings at the end of the 2024 cycle. What does that look like for Billy Napier? Uh, It could always happen. I mean, recruiting is very, it's very day to day. I mean, like you could hear something, I could get a phone call tomorrow saying, oh, so-and-so is going to commit tomorrow. And then... It, it changes within six hours. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I mean, we all go back to that Cormani McLean incident where he was, he told all the staff that he was coming to Florida. He told everybody else he's coming to Florida. Then he goes to Miami. And then of course now he's at Colorado because of all the, the mess that happened behind that. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, recruiting is very, very day to day. The good part about Florida's class right now is a lot of those kids shut down their recruitments. I, I believe over half of the kids that are in the class right now shut down their recruitments. And mm-hmm. usually when that happens, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> They're pretty solid. They're sold. And other elites want to play with other elites. And right now, I believe we got six or seven top 100 guys in this class. Um, I, I don't think they're going anywhere, especially with DJ Lagway still recruiting for them as well. Um, but yeah, it, 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 sometimes negative thoughts do pass through your brain. I've thought about it too. I'm like, man, that, that would really suck if we were at like 290 and then towards signing day or early signing day, somebody flips or something like that. But uh, you know, that could always happen. I mean, it, it's recruiting. It changes daily. Um, I think Florida's done a really good job, though, with their NIL and keeping kids on board, having them shut down their recruitments. And, uh, and hopefully down the stretch, we'll see more kids shut down their recruitments. And, and as I said, there's probably over half of kids that shut down their recruitments. I mean, that, after that, having that big recruiting weekend, I mean, it, it's hard to kill that momentum. And, and even if you do have a bad season, and I'm pretty sure the, the staff has told these kids, hey, don't expect a lot this season. You know, we're still trying to get our guys in here. And I think that they've really sold them on that. And that's why they're still in this class and they haven't went anywhere. Definitely. And just last little piece of recruiting here. A lot, a name that a lot of Gator fans have been hoping for is Jeremiah Smith. He's, yeah. he's seems like he has a great relationship with Lagway, but he's still solid to Ohio State. And given what Ohio State does with receivers, it's really hard to flip one from going to the Buckeyes. So it seems like the momentum has kind of waned a little bit for Florida on the flip pursuit, but is there still a shot maybe that the Gators make a push for Jeremiah late in that recruitment? Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah Smith's interesting. Uh, hopefully Brian Hartline goes to the NFL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that recruitment can uh, go our way a little bit. Um, no, uh, these were kind of recruits, especially Jeremiah Smith, having that relationship with DJ Lagway, you always want to try to chip away the whole cycle and it, whether he commits to Florida or flips to Florida or not, at least you, you sat there, you chipped away at it. You tried. I mean, that's the number one receiver in the class. If you haven't mm-hmm. seen his film, I mean, it just pops off the charts. So those are the type of recruitments that you want to stay on top of the whole way through. Because, you, as I said, it's recruiting. You never know what could happen. He could wait till February National Signing Day and then flip his commitment to Florida. We don't know. But I think that recruitment is going to – he's even come out and said he wanted to see what Florida did this season. And obviously, <laughs> if Graham Mertz winds up being some Heisman quarterback and does, has like some kind of Joe Burrow-esque kind of year – 
I mean, it's going to bode well, but at the same time, I think Jeremiah Smith's more learning and kind of like wanting to know how are they going to throw the ball? How are they going to use me in the offense? I don't really think he cares about the record as much. I right. think he wants to see how they use their receivers in this new offense. And uh, of course, you're going to see a lot of it now. I mean, we, we've got, uh, what, three elite receivers from last class. I'm sure you'll see a little bit of them just based on their skill and technique. Obviously, you'll see Jaquavian Frazier's out there, Ricky Persall. Um, but I think really th th that's what he's looking for down the stretch. And maybe it can be enough to convince him, hey, and, and DJ can stay on top of him enough to where maybe towards the end of the cycle you do see a flip. But I say you still stay on top of him because that's the number one receiver of five-star. You always want to stay on those type of guys. Yeah, you almost have to with how good he is. Yeah. So talked a bunch of recruiting. Now let's go to what's on the field because those 2024 guys, they're fun to look at, but they're not going to help this fall. So you already talked about the receivers a little bit. And everyone's looking forward to seeing the Gators running backs, ETN and Johnson, go off this year. But other than the running backs, at least, what are the other bright spots that you can expect to maybe maybe surprise some Gator fans this fall? I think, and I talked about this on the radio with uh, Mark Ryan a couple days ago, and he was asking me, what position do you think improves this year that may have struggled a little bit? And I said safety. And, and, mm -hmm. and you know, you got, you got transfers, RJ Moten and some other guys coming in there. Um, I'm not worried about linebacker. I'm not worried about corner. There's a lot of skilled players there. There's a lot of elite skilled players, especially from high school in there. Um, a little bit of experience with Shamar James there too. Um, I'm more worried about that safety spot. I think you're going to see it improve just a little bit with that transfer, RJ Moten. And I think that spot has not been the same since Chauncey Gardner-Johnson left the University mm -hmm. of Florida. And, you know, you, you go, you look at that draft and, that, and it's not me to, it's not me shaming trading or anybody else, but like those kids weren't that fast. In the yeah. combine. I mean, they didn't put up impressive combine numbers. Now you got in guys that Billy Napier has, and you look at the, 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 the last class when Billy Napier brought in Ricky Persall, Osiris Torrance, Montrell Johnson. I mean, I could, I could name five more names. They were all the best players on the team. So, um, you know, when Billy Napier brought in his talent at the University of Florida, I think that safety spot is one of the spots that I've been looking at for the most. And I think that spot will improve and, and it needs to improve anyway, coming down the yeah. stretch. I, I would put safety there. I also, you know, offensive line with Micah Mazuka, uh, that, that was a good transfer addition. We'll get, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into some of the transfer additions that we, we talked about before the show. But I mean, I think you're going to see a very big uptick, especially in that backfield with Corey Raymond being in charge and getting more, mm -hmm. you know, being able to have more leeway with some of the guys back there. Yeah, there's a lot of hype around Jason Marshall Jr. this year too, maybe being a first-round pick next year. ESPN talked about that. And staying on the defensive side, you know, past two defensive coordinators for the Gators have been forgettable. <laughs> Looking at Grantham uh, with that electric offense that we just couldn't blow people out because we kept giving up points and third and Tony last season. So what do you think that the impact of Austin Armstrong will be in his first year as coordinator? Uh, it's it's got to. I mean, you can't get any worse. Yeah, <laughs> I, I said that when Grantham left, and then we had Patrick Tony, and it, it yeah. got worse somehow. So, I mean, I, when I did the research on Patrick Tony after the season, I, he was ranked 113 statistical different categories. So, mm -hmm. I think that's going to be easy to beat. Um, I have talked to a few of the players. They love his aggressiveness. They love his energy. Uh, they they say you know it is a lot different back there in the backfield. It is a lot different the aggression, the uh, you know. And, and there, he said that there's some plays that he's drawn up that they've never even <laughs> never even tried before. So it's going to be different. You go back, you look at that spring game. I don't buy a lot into spring games anyway. I really mm -hmm. don't. But at the same time, you saw the aggressiveness on defense. I mean, it, it, the score was really low for a reason. Graham Mertz did come out and say that you know the playbook was dumbed down a little bit for the spring game. But you also saw just the aggressiveness of the defense. And I think that 
just based on that and seeing what you saw in the spring game, that's where Austin Armstrong is going to go. He's going to be very aggressive. He's going to blitz the quarterback. He's going to, you know, have these weird, you know, plays drawn up that these players have been talking about. So I think Austin Armstrong's impact will be a lot better than Patrick Tony or even Todd Grantham. So I'm really excited. That's the big position. I'm like, I'm really excited about this season is the defense because there's so many skilled players on that side of the football and there's no reason for it to be ranked in the hundreds. Yeah, definitely. So defensively, you talked about RJ Moten coming in, helping out the safety position and the Gators brought in a slew of linebacker transfers that'll kind of reshape that room. But looking at both sides of the ball, who do you think the most impactful transfer can be for the Gators this fall? Yeah, I just talked about him earlier, Micah Mazuka, and I'll take something from PFF that I looked up earlier before we even got on this podcast. PFF's had him as the, he was in the top 10 of the most impactful transfers of the 78.5 PFF run blocking grade, which ranked ninth amongst Power 5 guards. They also said he's also slated that his big time blocks were the second amongst Power 5 guards as well. I think Micah Mazuka is going to be the biggest impact transfer player, especially, you know, losing Osiris Torrance and all that. Um, you know, he was injured uh, during, you know, uh, the, the fall, uh, the spring practice. And, and, you know, but I have heard that he'll be healthy enough for fall and he should be able to start the season. So I think we're good there. I also like Cameron Jackson, man, six foot six, three fifty five. you know, three sacks, 17 quarterback hurries. He's still got three years of eligibility too. you know, losing Gervon Dexter and some of those other guys on the defensive line. That is a big dude <laughs> to be there right beside all the other, the, the likes of uh, Desmond Watson and everybody else. So I think, those two transfers are the biggest impactful transfers that you're going to see a lot on the field here at the University of Florida. Of course, I like them bringing in Cameron Carroll too. Mm-hmm. Running back. I think that you're, you're going to see a lot of him too. I think I, I think you'll see more of ETN and Montrell Johnson, but I think Cameron Carroll is going to sneak in there too. And maybe they even have him kick return. I, I don't know. I mean, you saw Trevor ETN doing it. Maybe they put him on kick returns as well. Uh, so another impact transfer that I, uh, I think will be good this year. I know Florida fans are split on him is Graham Mertz, of course. Yeah. Um, if he were to come in and fail the test or let's say get hurt, what does that QB room look like behind him? Like what do Florida fans have to look forward to in that situation? Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's a tough scenario, man. If, if Graham Mertz goes down, I mean, you're, you're, you're relying on two guys that haven't played a lot of college football. Uh, we, we, we've seen glimpses of Jack Miller and I don't really want to, close the book on him based on that one bowl game. Cause there was a lot of guys missing that bowl game. I mean, that guy was running for his life the whole, the whole game. Um, you, you got him, obviously Max Brown, who had a really good completion rating in high school, over 70%. Does that translate to the college football field? Um, we have yet to see anything from him too. So the, the unknown is, is what really, I think a lot of Florida Gator fans are uh, concerned about. And, and if you go back, you look at Graham Mertz too. Uh, Anthony Richardson, he struggled with like, throwing a basic slant or throwing a, an out route. It, it was just, he struggled with his accuracy. Was he one hell of an athlete? Yes, he was. He, he was a phenomenal athlete. And, and that's what got him out of a lot of situations where he was stuck in. You go and you look at Graham Mertz, and I looked up his PFF stats on, on throws from zero to nine yard range. He was like 71%, whereas Anthony Richardson was like 48, 49, 50, somewhere in that range. So I think the, the, the short, when you need to nickel and dime those first downs and wear down that defense on the other side of the football, I think that's where Graham Mertz is going to come in clutch. Of course, you know, you go back, you look at his time at Wisconsin, not the most impressive stats. I think he had a really bad, t- I think he had 26 touchdowns to 19 interceptions. Of course, he was ah. running for his life. He was sacked 47 <laughs> times and pressured 238 times. <laughs> I, lo- I actually looked that up because one of my friends where I play NCAA football 14 still, he's my co-commissioner of our online league still. He's a Wisconsin guy. Yeah, he did. He said that he's not really 
we're looking at a long season if he does not grasp the playbook and everything like that. Um, but when I looked up his stats, he had a 38 to 26 ratio. Yeah. That is not going to fly in this in this team. Yeah, that, that's what it was. Third, I, I'm probably thinking of some other quarterbacks of statistics because I look that stuff up all day. But, yeah, I mean, his t- I know his touchdown-interception ratio was not the best. Um, as I said, he was pressured 238 times at a 777. That's like 30.6%, I think, when I did the math on it. And uh, I, I think now if you, if you put him in a new offense with a new offensive line, new weapons around him, of course the competition is going to be a lot harder because <laughs> you're playing in the SEC. But I think, you know, you give him weapons, you give him an offensive line. You might be able to you might be able to get some good production out of him. I mean, you go back, you look at some of these NFL quarterbacks who have won Super Bowls, and then either you know they're not good. The uh, I, I'm thinking of the the Vikings quarterback for from a long time ago. Uh, I can't remember. I don't watch much NFL, but I mean, you've seen quarterbacks win Super Bowls, and then all of a sudden, the rest of their careers they're not that good. I mean, or they they go to a different team and they're not that good. Um, Tom Brady probably is probably one of the guys that. You, you could put him on any team and they're instantly already good. I mean, LeBron James is the same way. You can put a, a guy like him on uh, the some crappy basketball team, but they're still going to be instantly better just with him having, you know, having LeBron James there. So I'm, I'm hoping that with the pieces that Graham Mertz has around him being more better, you know, athletes and more designed for the system. I mean, I think he'll, I think he'll have some success. I'm not expecting him to win a Heisman or anything. Obviously I don't think any Gator fan is, but hey, give it a shot, man. Maybe maybe you get good production out of him. I mean, he has a good time to throw. I believe it's like 2.7 seconds. Most good quarterbacks have a time to throw between like 2.5, 2.7. So uh, I think yeah, I, I think it's a question mark. Like you said, the quarterback position, especially what if Grim Hurts goes down? Then now you're having to rely on two guys that have no experience. So um, I, I think that's, you know, I want to give him a shot. You've got to give him a shot. So, I mean, you go back and look at that spring game. He didn't throw a pick. Uh, he threw a touchdown and 244 yards being pressured. So, I mean, if he's not pressured, what can he do then? And the other thing I was going to say is who do we, outside of Graham Mertz, because we know he's going to be a starter, who is the backup at this point? Do we even know? Uh, yeah, I would assume Jack Miller because he's already backed up Anthony Richardson. He has a little bit of college experience. But, I mean, really, you look at both of them, <laughs> who's really played that much in college? Not really anybody. And, of course, you transferred over from Ohio State, so you probably got some practice time over there. So Jack Miller's obviously the older guy that, that has a little bit more experience over Max Brown, so I'm, I'm pretty sure you would see him in the game if something was to happen to Mertz. Or, well, you know, say we're playing McNeese State and we're up 45 to nothing. Who comes into the game? Is it Jack Miller? Is it Max Brown? Um, what are we getting out of them? That's why I'm really hoping that, you know, w- once you get to game two, you know, obviously those those opponents right there, you should be able to handle pretty easily. Um, what happens then? Uh, what do we see out of these two quarterbacks? I'm really looking at that like second game and hoping that we get up in a big lead and maybe we can see a little bit of, you know, Max Brown and Jack Miller there. Right. And even if fan confidence might not be super high on merch, it seems like the team's rallying around him pretty well. I think it was Andy yeah. Jean who came out earlier and said, like, you know, look out for this guy, expect a burrow like jump. So even if you know, realistically, I don't think we're going to see him, like you said, win a Heisman. But the team seems to be rallying around him pretty well. And if the expectation is for him to kind of just be a game manager, can he limit mistakes? Can he hit shorter routes? It seems like he'll be able to do that. And the team is going to be able to rally around him with that. So even if he's not a superstar, explosive kind of guy like Richardson was, the offense could still be efficient, which is really all it needs to be. Yeah, especially with those running backs you got there. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. those are two two. 
bell cows that you could just say, hey, I'm going to hand the ball off to if we need those extra two to three yards and then you get a first down and you get to try all over again, you know? Um, yeah, it's the situation at quarterback. I mean, you know, you look at Anthony Richardson last year, he was throwing a lot of picks to begin with. Mm-hmm. And the coaching staff adjusted and said, okay, look, this this guy, he's, he's probably going to throw a lot of turnovers if we have him throw the ball like 50 times a game. So they adjusted, and he cut down on his turnover rate towards the end of the season. He didn't take as many risks. Uh, he was he was running a little bit more. So I think the staff is really good at like adjusting where they know a quarterback's weakness is. And I think that if if we start to see Graham Mertz kind of you know turn the ball over or something of that nature, I think the coaching staff will really try to adjust that and make sure that it's not like a you know just a, a plethora of turnovers that he had over at Wisconsin. So. Mm-hmm. So definitely it's a good bit to look forward to this fall for the Gators, even if it might not be the best season. We've got a lot of fun players to look at, a lot of young players, and their recruiting is at an all-time high. So that's all we got for today. David, thanks so much for hopping on. You got anything you want to shout out or say before we go? No, just thanks for having me on. I I, I appreciated everybody uh, sending me messages and all that. And I said, oh, man, fansided, uh, you know, they reached out. That was pretty cool, man. So uh, we're going to have to do this again. And, uh, you know, I'm just looking forward to football season, of course. You know, practice coming up here at the end of July and early August. We'll get more of a glimpse of where the team really is, where, where Graham Mertz and, uh, you know, some of the other skilled players are. So I'm pretty pumped, man. I always get pumped this time of year. And I'd like to give, obviously, a, a cheap plug for High Top Sports there on YouTube. If you guys have not listened, we're on live every Wednesday at 8.35 p.m. discussing Gator football. A little bit of Florida State. I know you guys don't like that because Holly's on there, so he has to have his little Florida State segment there. But uh, it gets pretty funny on there, man. Uh, Shelton's uh, one heck of a personality. So is Holly. John, Anthony, got anything else you want to – any parting words? I think I'm good. Thanks, David. All right. Well, David, thanks again for hopping on. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Chomp Chatter. We'll be back at you soon as we continue to build up towards the season. Go Gators.